This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Welcome to the Collector Car Podcast, where we review market trends, auction results, and look at what's selling and what's not. I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Adam Jacklish. Adam, how are you doing today? I am well. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, you are a Ferrari salesman, brand ambassador out of Ferrari of New England, correct? I am. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us today. For our listeners to hear Adam's career journey how he became a brand ambassador. Be sure to listen to his interview on my other podcast called Learn From Others. We not only learned about his career, but also found out what his first car was, which was ironically similar to mine, what his dream car is, and what cool company car I picked out for him based on his job as a Ferrari brand ambassador. So Adam, today is all about cars. If you would, just tell me a little bit about your passion for cars and how it started in such a way that you ended up at Ferrari. I, I've always been in luxury sales over all the last 25 years. Uh, jewelry, watches predominantly, and then uh, always had a passion for Ferraris. And so I went eventually to uh, apply with a Ferrari dealer who had been doing an event at a friend's uh, clothing store. And at that time, I kind of, you know, just talked to the right person that coincidentally just walked through the door. And 11 years later, here I am. <laughs> I love I love Ferrari. I love cars in general. So it just you know I never sold cars ever before I started here. So I, I think that sometimes was a good thing. At least that's what everyone told me. You know, a lot of people usually had been in the industry for many years. Eventually, got into Ferrari at one point or another. So it was kind of a this was my first view into the car industry basically. So I've been fortunate to uh, be around some really neat people and some amazing cars that go through the showroom port and into a lot of garages. Yeah, that's really awesome. And if you could, could you dispel some of the myths or, I don't know, talk a little bit about the Ferrari brand as a dealership? And I'll, I'll tee this up in such a way as some of my questions. Like, I have the understanding that most of the Ferrari dealerships really only deal in used cars, not necessarily new cars. If I'm a first-time Ferrari buyer, what does that look like? Could you just talk to a couple of those points? You know, Ferrari, all Ferraris are made to order. Uh, so, yes, predominantly, sometimes for clientele, it, it's difficult to understand that their first used car is a Ferrari. As a dealership, uh, we get about 76 new allocations per year. So in the meantime, with existing clientele who have been around several years, who uh, have an ambition and sickness for cars in a good way and a fast-paced <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh get their first bite at the apple for some of those. And that's more out of respect and not to shun people away. I, I, uh, I'm, I am at commission sales. I don't make money off of uh, shunning people or get any enjoyment out of telling people no. But as I said earlier in the podcast, unfortunately, sometimes the most genuine answer is the answer that some people just don't want to hear. And mm. it's hard to understand, like most car companies, there's new cars waiting for you to come and buy, and there happens to be used ones as well. So usually if we introduce you to the brand, we kind of, we want to get to know you. It's a relationship. I'm not here to sell you just a car. It's going to be many over your time. And again, I said earlier, we kind of end up being almost like uh, wealth management people, but more for exotic cars. Where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? What would you eventually like to have? And I will help put a plan together to help you get that. Sometimes we ask you to enjoy this thousand mile car or less while you wait for the new one to arrive which we will be gladly to it's just that 
we don't have, they're currently taken up for the time being until the, you know, allocations open up a little bit more, that, you know, why miss a season of driving when you have this beautiful car as well? So that's usually how the business model would work uh, with our brand. You know, we have great examples of slightly used, and if there's a cancellation of a new one sitting there and the timing is right, as long as you live in my region, you can't be in California <laughs> and buy a new car from me unless you own property or, or, you know, somewhere in my selling region, just to be fair. Not everyone always follows that rule, but <laughs> in a way we uh, <laughs> do our best to abide by the, you know, rules that were given by the factory. Yeah, and when I stopped by your your dealership there, you had a really cool car that I fell in love with immediately, but it was that... Uh, Super America? Super America, do you remember? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was a Super America. Even though it has that weird curved glass. Yeah. When it's down, it looks fantastic. <laughs> it is. It looks better down than it does up sometimes, but it's uh, you know, it's an eclectic piece. You have to understand what it is, where it came from, and why. And this brand has so many facets, and it has well over 70 years of great names to reintroduce, but... You know, the, I think the one thing that this brand really offers is a form of consistency that you can still look at a car today and still see the lines and finish of something from the past. We've always had Penn and Farina design our cars until recently, so you've always seen certain lines and things that you see from other brands, and I think we've really evolved nicely in that way, that someone has something to attach themselves to regardless of how old you are or what you always saw as a child is still kind of visible in the car today yeah and if you could could you tell me a little bit about the i might pronounce this wrong the pista program you have going on right now sure well the pista of course is the more race oriented car like the f430 scuderia we had the 458 speciale and now of course it's going to be the 488 pista which is the retiring car of that mid-engine eight-cylinder car uh, as you see you know they're 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 made a little less, you know, amount than the regular production is, but that'll the piece the spider will probably be the retiring model that you'll see of the forty eight before they roll out the Portofino. So it's um you know, currently just starting to arrive uh throughout the country. The piece the spider is just probably there's probably four or five if that in the country at the current moment. But you know, another yeah, four months you'll start to see a little bit more on social media arriving. Yeah. They're gorgeous. Yeah, it's a gorgeous, aggressive-looking car. You know, Ferrari takes a lot of time to not only engineer and make that car look amazing and aggressive and have new innovations, but, you know, they transfer that technology moving forward. You know, Ferrari has always raised the bar on themselves. Not saying that no one else is a competitor, but when you spend that kind of money in research and development just to transfer and make the F1 car better on the weekends, that transfers into the streetcars, which makes us big, you know, presence in the racing and exotic car market because we are for real a racing company. You know, we don't right. build cars to make more to make money. We, you know, we don't advertise because the racing is the advertising. At least our race right. history is the advertising. Now, here's a weird question for you. What's one of the weirdest options you've had requested? I encourage individuality. I mean, I like red tan, I mean, which is what most people envision in a Ferrari. I've kind of gone away from that. I mean, unless that's what the person wants, but I think equipping it uh, cosmetically is more important than just the color combination. You know, I think if you're going to build a really exotic car, wild colors, you, you got to go all the way. You can't stop per se. Not, right. I don't mean to make it obnoxious looking, but you have to put that attention to detail and the contrasting to complement that color to go with it. You know, if you're not, right. I mean, at that point, you do have run into clients 
that don't want to spend that extra money to do so, but they still just spend a lot of money to make it look a certain way, but now it looks unfinished. So right. without sounding arrogant that what's another $20,000 on a $400,000 car? Right. It's a lot of money. It, it always will be. It, but I just that if you're building something on a passion and it's customized, you know, it, it's not an immediate reason that you immediately start stopping. I mean, I don't think we should build a $500,000 car, but if those are crucial in the resale in order to make that car elegant enough to appeal to the next person that has your vision, that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's one of the cooler cars that's passed through in the last month or so? Could be new, could be, you know, pre-owned. Is there anything that's really stuck out to you? You know, it's sometimes we we see just a couple vintage stuff. We had a short, we had a 250 coupe come through. We had a Lusso, I think, stop by while I was on the truck. Um, <laughs> I have a 599 GTO that just, uh, you know, makes my heart melt sometimes. It's in uh, a three-stage Rosso Fuoco which is a, just a gorgeous color. I think it's my favorite red. If I was ever going to get a red, it's it's maroon, it's candy apple red with like a real fine metallic paint, So or flake, excuse me. Once the light hits it, it just creates this three-dimensional view of the car that, you know, it's always changing color. So it kind of gives you the best of both worlds in a way. So that's really striking. Um, we have a, We're actually servicing an Enzo right now, which is... Uh, you know, never boring to have either. Is it red, black, or yellow? It is red. It is red. <laughs> yes, it I knew it was red. one of those three. <laughs> yep, exactly. I've seen a silver one before. I'd love to see the white one. I think there's only one in existence in Japan, from what I believe here. You know, it's uh, you never know what comes through the door. Sometimes it's people that just move to the area. Sometimes it's people passing through. There's even, uh, you know, a couple older Lamborghinis and stuff that came in that you just don't get to see that often. Yeah, let's say I'm a first-time Ferrari buyer, which I one day hope to say those words out loud and mean Me them. Me as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would come to you first. There's no doubt. I walk into your, your showroom floor. How do you approach that conversation with a first-time buyer? Like, how do you feel them out? You know, you're talking, you don't know his budget, you don't know his taste. Like, kind of walk me through that process of how you you land that sale with that first customer that's never bought a Ferrari before. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it depends, you know, I, I think sometimes you have people get a little overwhelmed that, like, now I have to pretend to be somebody so someone will talk to me. And being a little bit polished and experienced in the business, you kind of start to pick up on certain signs, you know, whatever industry you're in, you have certain telltale signs, but you, you just want to talk to the person, get to know them a little bit, what interest will bring them in, and eventually, what, what do you love about cars, what do you hate about cars, what do you have now, just, you know, a couple questions just to get to know them to see, like, where they're envisioning something, and regardless of the price point, you know, I don't want to overwhelm them by showing them 20 cars right out of the gate, but it, it's good to kind of direct them a little bit to what they may be looking for. But, I mean, sometimes you can tell by the taste of the watch they're wearing or specific things. that I, I've had some clients get really impressed that I know what they have from across the room because they'll say, you know, they're, they're kind of presenting themselves to be a little bit puffed up chest and kind of to be in control a little bit. And, and we'll say that, well, this car just isn't practical. And respectfully, I kind of will practical, but you're wearing like a Langa split time, tur you know, tourbillon on your wrist. You know, there's only <laughs> five of those in North America. You know, where was practical when you were buying that watch, you know? <laughs> right. and, and it's all of a sudden this look comes over their face like, what? How, how do you know what that is? You know, and it's kind of like 
you want to refer back to Scarface, should we start over? You want to come back in? We'll reintroduce <laughs> ourselves. And, you know, but then you, you strike a good conversation and you strike, you know, a relationship up that way that, like, listen, we can be real with each other. We don't have to pretend to be something. And I think that kind of makes people a little bit more relaxed, per se. So, I mean, you, you start off on having things in common a little bit. And I think that that is a good way to, where would you like to be? What do you want now? Um, even if that doesn't exist, you know, there's a lot of innocent ignorance when it comes to my brand sometimes of people thinking that it's still $25,000 to service the car like it was a Testarossa with the engine out. So you have to kind of re-educate people. You know, I think that a lot of people, uh, other dealerships or in other places of luxury kind of sell out of fear instead of selling with confidence. You know, I think that some brands, well, you don't want a Ferrari. I heard they break down a lot. Why don't you just buy another one of these? You know, and I think that it, people want to play and, you know, sometimes they're hesitant to jump off. But, you know, I kind of try and tell people, like, listen, this is a fun experience. This isn't something, if you have to beat yourself up to like it, this probably isn't the right one, you know. Right. But, no. but I jump off the cliff with you. You know, it's an experience we both take together. And, you know, it, it's going to be fun. And that's when we're going to sell you another three or four or five cars that you don't have to worry, you know, did I get taken advantage of? Was this the right move? You know, some people need to be pushed a little bit. Uh, respectfully, of course, not pushy as far as when are you going to do this, hurry up now. But, you know, you get to know them. Everybody has their own approach. And who are you talking to psychologically as well? Where are they in their life, in their mind that day? Right, right, you know? absolutely. It's being able to tell a lot of those things that I think help you to put something together for people. Yeah, and it, like you said, it's all about building relationships. And speaking of which, what's the mm -hmm. best way for our listeners who do want to buy a Ferrari and are ready to pull the trigger, what's the best way they can reach you? Well, hell, even if they're not, uh, it's good to, if you need a little bit of advice. <laughs> so which way to go? I mean, a little bit of bad advice can send you down the wrong path. But, <laughs> you know, so it's it's good to get good advice from people and genuine advice that, you know, that fits. Hopefully it, it's great. But uh, you can always reach me on my email if you have any questions for Ferrari or if you're looking for something or need help ridding yourself of something beautiful exclusive <laughs> it's uh a g j like adam george john 360 at gmail.com well can you talk to the ferrari marketplace a little bit as a whole as it relates to uh, the collector car market it's no wild ride there's always people that want to bring it down there's people that want to bring it up but i i kind of work with what you have i started in 2008 right as everything kind of collapsed so i can only hear of the good old days versus never living through it or been around it, but I think it's been a strong, good market. I think you have to make your own market sometimes. Uh, the worry about, I mean, yes, if we're if we're talking about something that exceeds, you know, six, eight million dollars sometimes, or even less, that you know those markets are come up. If if you're if you're going for the long term, I mean, get the one you want. I mean, because as soon as you feel like you're settling, that's not the way, not the best way. Whether it's ten million dollars or thirty thousand dollars, it's not a fun ride at that point because now you're just bought something to get rid of it. Buying something for the long run is usually the best way. I think that 12 cylinders as they start to disappear in the brand are going to probably start to go up in three to five years, maybe a little longer once they completely get phased out or hybrid technology and turbos kind of eat up the car industry a little bit more, almost as how you see a six-speed manual today in a lot of brands, even specifically in Ferraris. You look at the 550 Marinello or even a 575 or even a 430 stick is still prominently climbing or steadying, you know, holding well. 
like again, everyone tends to try it depending on what side of the country you live on. Some markets are in their winters. Some of them are coming out of it. You know, I think you have to make your market a little bit and buy with confidence as well as sell with confidence. All cars are not investments right out of the gate, but it's your passion for the car that's the enjoyment of obtaining something like that. And it, it is great that it happens to be appreciating while you happen to own it, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's better to buy out of passion, and that's exactly the one you want instead of settling and missing out on the one you really wanted, even though it was a lot more money. Obviously, if it's extremely a lot more money, it's maybe the better choice to hold off and wait to see what happens. You know, the market will probably come with a correction. I don't see a crash happening, but, you know, I guess if I had that algorithm, I'd probably own 200,000 cars by now, too. But, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's, uh, I, I, I think we're, we're good. I mean, a lot of new goals have been made with the auctions and things like that. It depends on the crowd, you know, the marketing of that car, what makes that car unique. Um, I happen to be working with a lot of people to uh, figure that out and have some really good connections with people that are able to that work with principals only and helping sell or acquire some of their really collectible cars. I think uh, you know keeping it off of mainstream for the first little while is sometimes better versus a car that's over advertised. All right, let's say I give you five hundred thousand dollars. So I'm taking out the Halo cars. No two eighty eights, no F forty Enzos. Sure. Taking out the Halo cars. All what right. would you buy with your five hundred thousand dollars? With my five hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. What would you buy? Mm. That's a good question. Well, I think I would probably aim for something in a 12-cylinder, because I go back to my statement, I think that those are going to be a little bit more. Not the selection of them. Well, it will be the selection of them more than the quality of them. Selection over price is, I think, what happens with a lot of cars in any category. I, I think I'd like a 550 Marinello, but I'd also would buy a, a 430 Scuderia. I, I mm. think that's the F40 of today. Analog, raw, loud. It doesn't make that sound. The cars of today don't make the sounds like they used to, you know, like it did in the F430. Uh, right. Maybe to as far as a 16M Scuderia Spider, if you really want to buy something that will probably start appreciating over time, I think that's one of those cars. You know the car I would buy, right? I do. I do, I do. <laughs> the Super America actually is a really good example. That car, about a year, almost two years ago, went up to, you know, hitting in the high fours, maybe up to 500. Obviously, if it's a six-speed manual, that car is still at least 525,000 today, depending on miles and equipment and things like that. But it's, uh, that car has come up and then now started to decline. A lot of these cars started to go up and up, and what was then attainable is now unattainable, so then the next car gets chosen. You know, you know I even probably have to correct myself. You know exactly what I would buy? I would buy a 599, maybe the GTO, it, if it falls under 500,000, it's not currently unless there's miles. I would do an F430 Scuderia and a 599 GTB or GTO if I could afford it. There we go. That's exactly what I regret. <laughs> I think the 599 is one of the most beautiful cars. All right, so this is my favorite part of the conversation. It's called Keep, Cash, or Crush. So I give you three cars, and you have to tell me which one you want to keep, which one you want to cash in, and which one you're okay crushing. So are you are you ready for this? I am ready. Let's go. <laughs> All right. The first car is a Mint 360 with 10,000 miles. Uh -huh. The second one is a 430 Scudiera 
with 30,000 miles and no service records. 30,000 miles and no service records? Correct. And the third okay. one is an F-50 with a salvage title. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, good. If I made it harder on you, that means I'm doing my job. Yeah, that's 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 a good one. So, so real quick. So an F430 with 30,000 or Scuderia with 30,000 miles, no service history. Yep. A Mint 360 with uh 10,000 miles. Let's make it harder. Let's right. make it 5,000 miles. 5,000 miles. Okay. And the other one's a F50 with a salvage title. Yes. Which one will you keep? Which one will you cash and which one will you crush? I think I would I would still keep the F fifty all day long. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, I'll take the salvage title. Sure. Um, <laughs> as far as cash in, obviously, I think it, is the three sixty a six speed manual. Let's say no. No. Okay. Great question, though. The, yes. Well, that 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 makes a difference, you know, because uh, I would probably cash that one in. You know, that's tough because that, I think, like I said previously, the Scuderia is kind of the F40 of today. Yep. I don't care really about the service history or lack thereof. That That is a tough one. But uh, F50, you keep. Those are, that's the rarest of them all. I think you, wow. Which I, one I guess do you, you crush? You, <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing is, you know, you can, uh, I, hmm. 30,000 miles, obviously, from a salesperson's point of view. Um, now, by crushing, does that mean you can crash it, race it until you crash no, it? Or actually, no, in the crusher. Throw no, it in the, in the crusher. crusher. In the crusher. Wow. You know, if you could just throw a Porsche in there, then it'd be easy. But okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, then I would already have it. Um, I would say, I, I guess, you know, the 360 isn't as rare at that point. It's not a manual. Let's crush that one. All right. Let's cash cash in on the Scuderia. All right. I love it. That's a great way to look at it, and I'm so happy you struggled so hard with that. That means I did my job. I, I did struggle. I did struggle with it. But <laughs> I was just kidding more about the Porsche, but it would have been easy at that point. <laughs> That's right. It would have been easy at that point. To make a Ferrari brand ambassador squirm is makes my day. So thank you so much, yes. Adam. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.